Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. Freedom of Species would like to acknowledge the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation, who are the traditional owners of the land on which we broadcast today. We pay our respect to the elders of all of the lands on which we meet across Australia. Hi listeners, welcome to Freedom of Species, the radio show that brings animal advocacy to the airwaves. I am Davita, your host today, and I'm coming to you from Narm, the unceded lands of the Wurundjeri people, where we're broadcasting from 3CR Community Radio. Today, my co-host is Trev. Hey, Trev. Hey, everyone. Yeah, I'd also like to acknowledge we're on the lands of the Wurundjeri people and that sovereignty was never ceded and it's their land that's been stolen. And we need to keep that in mind with everything that we're doing on this land. Yes, always was, always will be Aboriginal land. We have a special guest today who is a longtime political activist, Dinesh Matthews, um, who's here to talk with us about politics and animal advocacy, and uh, which seems particularly important considering the upcoming state elections. So hello, Dinesh. Welcome to Freedom of Species. Hello, and, and thank you for having me. Oh, we're, yeah, we're thanks glad. For yeah, <laughs> we wouldn't be able to do a show without <laughs> cool guests like you. <laughs> Fantastic! Really happy to be here and talk about what we can do, what to look forward to, and I suppose what I've experienced over twenty-five or oh, thirty years of <laughs> activism in different spaces, from mm. LGBTA activism to um, drug law reform to a mm. whole lot of different things that I've done as a kid and as an adult <laughs> and all of this stuff. Yeah, yes, yeah. we're having experts on the show today. <laughs> That's great. Well, for people who don't know who you are, uh, maybe a good starting point is how long you've been vegan or what was your vegan journey? I've been vego since I was about 21 or 22 and I've, I've been vegan for about 15 years now. And the journey was um, essentially reading a book I've been vego for a while and then reading a book, and it was quite a comic book, uh, as in comic as in comedy. It was phenomenal, like, you know, laughing and at the same time revealing truths about about the industry, not the, just the industry, just, just the impact. And that's the first time I learned about, you know, dairy carbs and oh, um, wow. the, the, you know, why vegans don't eat eggs and stuff like that. And even as a vegetarian, I thought vegans were a little bit weird in those days. I mean, I'm talking, <laughs> this is a long time ago yeah. uh, when veganism was seen to be weird. Yeah. So, yeah, I always thought that it was weird until I read that book. And from then on, just overnight, basically switched. Uh, just a shout out to whichever cafe accidentally gave me a soy latte once. <laughs> A really good soy latte, <laughs> and that's made me that made the switch much easier because yeah. I mean I thought it was the best coffee I'd had. I walked over and, and asked about it, and they said, "Oh, it's just a normal soy latte." And I went, "Oh, wow!" <laughs> so I switched to so I'd already started moving away from dairy um, purely because I liked the taste more. Yeah, and I suppose that led me on my food journey and what, why I got passionate about cooking and um, converting people through good food. And I think that was a really positive way of trying to get people to switch over and, and a couple of my friends have switched over 
was that your like catalyst to get more involved with cooking and baking and things like that? Or were you always doing that and then you just use those skills when you became vegan? No, I think going vegan made me want to cook and learn how to and the whole baking journey happened because I was vegan because I couldn't that eat was anything. The catalyst for it. I couldn't yeah. eat anything anymore that was baked. And I'm quite a healthy person, so I don't eat a lot of sugar or anything like that. But so I started baking quite a lot. I won I don't know if you remember, we used to have the vegan bake off in Melbourne that Animal Liberation used to run. Yeah, I know you won. So I won best cake twice, I yeah. think. And I won three other awards there. And you know, I, I didn't expect to win the first time I entered and I was quite blown away. And mm. then I started baking a lot more and doing a lot more and then um, doing some cooking demos with Zach Bird. At, um, oh, yeah. uh, he's a good friend of mine. We, we used to cook together at uh, World Vegan Day. I was good chef. He was bad chef because <laughs> I'd be quite <laughs> astounded at the amount of unhealthy things he would put in and he'd be astounded at all the healthy stuff I was cooking. So <laughs> I... Th- I think we worked really well together. Um, he's fantastic and the stuff he's doing is brilliant. And I always give him a shout out and um really happy to support him. I think he's amazing. Yeah. But I think for me, in terms of converting other people, because I do want to convert a whole lot of people to veganism, <laughs> um, and I think it's working slowly, is by making great food, baking amazing things and cakes. And if you want to check out my Instagram, uh, Veganosaurus, you know, I bake for just about every office function. I will always bake something that's impressive. I want to outdo everyone there and show that. And I've labeled it vegan (laughs) um, every single time so that people understand that, yes, you can make stuff vegan. And I own the baking channel on Yammer at work, (laughs) et cetera. (laughs) So you you, you post a whole lot of stuff so that people, mm. it's normalizing it, really. Yeah. Yeah. But I do every now and then have the idea to put together a cookbook, including baking as well. I love oh, cool. doing simple things. I think that's a Sri Lankan heritage. So my background, I was born in Sri Lanka, uh, lived through the civil war that was going on there, and then came here as a 12 year old with my parents uh, and family. In Sri Lanka, you, a lot of Sri Lankan food is cooked very quickly because it's a hot country. So you don't want to hang out in the kitchen for that long. That's the way mm-hmm. I see it. <laughs> but the meat-based curries will take a lot of time. But the veggie curries, and Sri Lankan is mostly veggie, mostly mm-hmm. vegan because we use coconut milk in everything and no ghee generally. Yep. Ghee is a very Indian Indian Butter. staple. So in Sri Lanka, you use vegetable oil and not much dairy at all. Even pancakes we mm. make with coconut milk. So when I went vegan, my dad was like, oh my God, what are you going to eat? And my mum just sort of thought about it for a second and said, actually, he can eat everything that's on this table apart from the meat. So it's like, she's like, everything is vegan. Like we don't put dairy in anything because I use coconut milk. Yeah. And um, so I learned from her all of the Sri Lankan food that I cook. Um, and I've done cooking classes during the pandemic for people as far away as America and stuff like that, where I try and do the four dishes in 30 minutes is my... Mm. is my big thing. That's mm. what I try and do nice. is four dishes. That's a complete meal in, and a completely balanced meal wow. in a Sri Lankan lunch, essentially. That's fantastic. So what about, um, like I know you're saying that you've been active politically for a long time, even before you were vegan. Maybe share your previous political experiences and activism yeah. uh, and if you've been involved in any organisations um, in your life politically. My first sort of foray into politics was when I was like 12 or 13, I think. My dad dragged me along to a couple of Save Albert Park rallies when the the Grand Prix was just starting up and stuff like that. Went to all the anti-Kennet rallies with him and stuff like that. So he was heavily involved in political, not involved in a political party per se, but he's um, always been pushing 
people to read the papers, find out what's going on around you and act, you know, always advocate for those that are not um, as well off as you. Mm. So that's sort of ingrained into me, which is mm. I'm really thankful for. Since then, when I uh, went to university uh, to Latro Bendigo, I was elected president of the student union there. Um, so I've been involved in a whole lot of different things from drug law reform because I moved to St Kilda after university and uh, we had street sex workers outside our house. And so we automatically, a group household with my uni friends and some high school friends, and we automatically started bonding with people who were working on the street and making sure that they knew that there was we were a safe house, essentially. Mm. So I started advocating for safe houses for street sex workers and stuff like that. I was very unpopular wow. with other residents yeah. because they they thought that it would encourage street sex, uh, sex work. But if you talk to anyone, it's like, you know, it is a last resort for a lot of those mm. people and some of them were underage, etc., and decriminalisation was a big issue for me and stuff like that. Now, I do notice that 25 years later, we've got decriminalisation of street sex work, which is a huge, huge thing mm. just to prevent crime in the future because street sex workers who are attacked can't report their attacks. And so, therefore, the perpetrators get away with it for a lot longer and they get more and more brazen until they start attacking a whole lot more people. Yeah. So, it's really important for in every single way. Um, the same with drug law reform and drug injecting rooms, etc. Yes. Living in St Kilda at the time, I was always saying, well, you know, we need an injecting room here because our porch is now the current safe injecting room. <laughs> yeah. So, you may have big fences, but we don't. And mm. we were, you know, I've gone out and talked to them and made sure that they were safe, etc. Please, please clean up after yourselves, etc. But we, or residents, shouldn't be the ones housing Mm. Um, safe injecting rooms, etc. So it's like we're not qualified. Yeah. But at the same time, we didn't want to call the police. Yeah. But uh, there was a whole lot of activism around a whole lot of those sorts of issues. So I suppose this is this is going twenty five years back. So very very unpopular in those days. Mm. Um, well, still are some, of, especially oh, the sex work issue is very like still controversial. Unfortunately, and, which and is kudos a shame. to Fiona Patton um, and all the upper house MPs, including um, the AJP supported it, the Greens supported it, and it, just about everyone apart from the slightly crazy right wing people in there. Um, <laughs> It is actually just a human right, you know. Yeah. You need to protect people who are street sex workers because if you want to, if they want to get out of it, to get out of it, you can't, you know, give them a criminal record and all mm. that sort of stuff. It, it just follows you all through life. So it's about understanding how important it is to, to help people, yeah. you know. And also, as I said before, attackers will keep attacking other women because they can get away with it. Mm. And get more brazen, as we found out with Jill Meager, who got attacked in Brunswick. But that attacker had attacked street sex workers previously yeah. and not been reported because they couldn't report. Mm. It's the same with brothel workers, illegal brothel workers, etc., or people who've been trafficked. They can't report it because it's illegal. Uh, if it's if it's not decriminalised, um, it just means that they're going to get deported. or So it, it makes it very, very difficult to report crimes or attacks or whatever. I know we've talked about things other than animal advocacy, I suppose. Well, I think that's important. Um, yeah, and it's important as vegans, well, as, as anybody actually, to show up fully to other causes beyond animal advocacy. Because Not because we're vegans, but because it's about fighting injustice. You yeah, know? And, um, and it is the right thing yeah, to do. And it, is the, <laughs> and it is the right thing to do. And, and um, yeah. yeah, that showing up fully to another cause 
without expecting in anything return in return yeah. on the vegan vegan uh, scheme, I reckon. Yeah. It's yeah. building connections for me as mm. well, like mm. you know, a human connection. You know, not being scared of if you see someone on the street. You know, not being scared to you know kneel down next to them and have a chat to them because mm. a lot of them it's just that humanness. I think I've learned a lot from my dad watching him as I grew up as a kid, where he would always treat everyone as an equal. And to me, that's it is something to consider that we, in a lot of ways, a lot of us are privileged to have been born where we are and the way we are. So, to always consider that um, not everyone has the same privileges as us and then to try and help as many people as possible. And for me, it's always been the other aspect as well, coming from a Buddhist country and always being open to that sort of aspect of Buddhism, uh, treating every single being as mm. how you would like to be treated. Because it's about being charitable and looking after people and doing whatever you can for those that are, well, you know, less fortunate than you are. And I don't consider myself that fortunate. I just happen to be very lucky to have been able to leave a country at that time when it was in trouble and then, yeah. you know, put myself through university and, my, you know, my dad worked three jobs. It was a very, very difficult life, all that sort of stuff. So, I've seen all of that and consider that some people don't have the same mm. sort of privileges that I've had. And and I think there's a there's a I've heard this a couple of times where people have said, "Oh, why are you giving money to that person? They're just going to go off and buy drugs." Um, I'm, I hmm. don't need to judge that. That's not my place to judge. If that's what they need to get by on that day, hmm. yeah, that's okay. Yeah. And for me, if I during the pandemic, I made sure I went out and got cash out and had cash on me mm. because at the moment people on the street are doing it really rough because not a lot of yeah, people carry yeah. cash anymore. Yeah. So, making sure that you carry cash to look after those people who are really struggling, if you yeah. think we are struggling with rising costs of food, etc., people on the street, they are struggling a lot more because there's less money for them to live on and they have to put up with the weather and all that sort of stuff as well as um, rising costs of living for them as well. It's much harder for them to eat because they have to buy takeaway. They can't cook food. Yeah. yeah. And it's not like you never bought drugs, Tracy. <laughs> <laughs> That's always something that comes to my mind. <laughs> Should we take a song break? Let's take a song break. What's your first song, Dinesh? When you told me that I could choose two songs, there's so many songs. So, my background is actually music theatre. Uh, so, I've studied music theatre, etc. And But... The song that really resonates str strongest for me is Nina Simone's Mississippi Goddamn. And I want you to sort of have a listen to the, the words that she sings about going slow, which is what the black community kept being told to just go slow, don't accept fast change. And um, I think she puts it really well about how that is just a ridiculous concept in, the, in terms of equality, asking people to go slow. Another important line in it is, uh, you don't have to live next to me, just give me my equality. Those words just make me tear up immediately because if you just have a look at Nina Simone's life, her life was tragic in the sense that she was a concert uh, musician, concert pianist, trained, brilliant, but could never really get to perform much in America. So she had to move to France because of racism. And of course, a couple of years ago, four little girls were killed in Alabama. And at that time, we got the inspiration to do this song. 
But Dr. King's murder has left me so numb I don't know where I'm at, really And of course you heard this song That was composed by Gene Taylor Especially for today But I hope that between now and the end of the year it'll all be together enough that we will have songs that go down in history for these wonderful, brave people who are no longer with us. Alabama's got me so upset Tennessee made me lose my rest Everybody knows about Mississippi God damn Alabama's got me so upset Lurleen Wallace has made me lose my rest Everybody knows about Mississippi God damn Can't you see it? I know you can feel it It's all in the air I can't stand the pressure much longer Somebody say a prayer Alabama has got me so upset And Memphis has made me lose my rest Everybody knows about Mississippi God Hound dogs on my trail Little school children sitting in jail Black cat cross my path I think every day's gonna be my last Lord have mercy on this land of mine We all gonna get it in due time Cause I don't belong here, I don't belong there I've even stopped believing in prayer about do I've been there so I know you keep on saying go slow well that's just the trouble washing the windows picking the cotton nothing but rotten too damn lazy thinking's crazy Try to do my very best Stand up, be counted with all the rest Cause everybody knows about Mississippi God damn Now you heard him He's one of you If you have been moved at all And you know my songs at all For God's sakes join me Don't sit back there the time is too late now. Good God. You know, the king is dead. The king of love is dead. I ain't about to be nonviolent, honey. 
Picket lines, schoolboy cops. They try to say it's a communist plot, but all I want is equality for my sister, my brother, my people, and me. And I loved him because he believed it. He lived by it. But you lied to me all the years You told me to wash and clean my ears And talk real fine just like a lady And you stopped calling my mama and Sadie Hear me now But my country is full of lies We all gonna die and die like flies. I don't trust nobody anymore. Keep on saying, go slow. That's just the trouble. No. Desegregation. No. Mass participation. No. Unification. No. Do things gradually. No. to me just give me my equality cause everybody knows about Mississippi everybody knows about Alabama everybody knows about Mississippi God damn that's it have you heard of long COVID if you or someone you know have had COVID-19 you may still experience symptoms weeks or months later. There are many symptoms of long COVID, but the most frequent are extreme tiredness, shortness of breath, and muscle aches and joint pains. Anyone can experience long COVID, including children. You can find information in your language on the Health Translations website, healthtranslations.vic.gov.au. Just type long COVID as a keyword. A 3CR supporter. Bisexual Alliance Victoria is a not-for-profit organisation dedicated to equality and justice for multi-gender attracted people, including bi, pan, regardless of label or no label at all, their partners and allies. Bisexual Alliance runs discussion groups in person and online. The group offers a safe and fun space to share your experiences, ask any questions regarding your sexual identity and provide peer support. Bisexual Alliance is especially keen to hear from multi-gender attracted people in regional and rural Victoria. Donations of $2 or more to Bisexual Alliance are now tax deductible. For more information, visit our website at bi-alliance.org, email info at bi-alliance.org or find us on Facebook or Twitter. A 3CR supporter. 
Hello, listeners. Welcome back to Freedom of Species. You just heard Nina Simone with Mississippi Goddamn. We're here talking to Dinesh. And funnily, we haven't even mentioned, uh, we haven't even talked about your work with the Greens, which is what a lot of people assume you're doing all the time. So <laughs> what's up with the Greens? How long have you been involved? Yes, I've been a member of the Greens for about 25 years. And, you know, I joined the Greens when the Greens were on 1% of the vote federally. So it's very small, small party, and we were doing raffles, essentially, and um, the Greens nearly went bankrupt at one point, and there was a whole lot of small fundraisers to try and pay off debt, etc. So, it was very, very small. So, I ran the year after I joined, I ran as a candidate for then Melbourne Ports, now called McNamara, which is now the most marginal, you know, Greens mm. Labour seat in the country. I think it's only 400 votes or something like that, separating uh, the Greens and Labour. Um, and has been that way for two elections now. Yeah, well, this really one, this time it got much closer, and surprisingly, because there was a huge swing to Labour, and uh, even with that, there was a bigger swing to the Greens in that electorate. Mm. I've sort of been involved for a long time. I was the national campaign manager in 2001 during the Tampa election, when the Greens vote suddenly started changing, and in 2007, I was the state campaign manager, and yeah, in 2014... I was the campaign manager for the seat of Paran. That was my Paran was my baby for since 2002 when I ran for Paran, and I realised that the Greens could win it. It's a mathematical thing. Yeah, it took me about 12 years to convince the Greens to go after Paran, <laughs> and um, once we did, I be, was a volunteer campaign manager for about nine months, ten months. Put me in a lot of debt, but um, <laughs> in the end, we won that seat by 31 votes. Yeah, it was the first time the Greens had beaten a conservative candidate mm. uh, in a, in any seat, and since then I've gone around the country and trained people on identified seats that the Greens can win by just getting just to that level of votes that we need to jump Labor and then and win the, the seat. Magic number, the it's magic number. It's, yeah, it's, you know, mathematically twenty six percent or twenty five percent or something like that, but you actually need a little bit more. Mm. Since then, we won the seat of Ballina, which I've uh, gone up a couple of times for in New South Wales, and that was off the Nationals, so it was a safe national seat. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, and after that, it was the seat of Maywa, which the population pretty much mirrored the population of Paran. Mm. And so I went up there quite early and we had a chat to them about a great candidate, great campaign, this is how you do it. Um, and since then, obviously, I, the Greens won the seat of Ryan, which in Brisbane, and again, the population mirrored kind of like Paran. Mm. Progressive voters, and then you have a bedrock of a liberal vote there, but then there's a, a portion of those liberal voters who just vote liberal because you know their parents voted liberal and stuff like that. So you can actually talk them around. That's something that I find quite weird, is that a lot of people tend to be married to a political party, and then the values don't actually align, mm. which which I find really strange. You know, my parents voted this way, so this is how I vote, sort of thing. So, for minor parties, I think that's a hard thing. Mm. And um, what I think we saw this election was a whole lot of that younger generation who are not following that path mm. of, I'm just voting the way my parents vote, and they're making their own decisions. And suddenly the political landscape changes. Mm. I think that's really important. Yeah. Yeah. I think the most important thing in terms of, you know, whatever party that you're involved in, get involved. Mm. Get involved in progressive politics. And don't just become a member, but get involved in the internal party as well. I think it's really important to make sure that it's democratic and that it aligns with, you know, the values that you joined up with. And uh, so you need to be active internally as well, not just be a member. Mm. It's really, really important. And the more progressives that we have in parliament, the better it is for 
everyone really, yeah. for animals and for humans. So I absolutely don't have any problem with anyone joining Reason mm. or Animal Justice Party or Greens or whatever. I do, you know, don't join the Liberals. <laughs> um, <laughs> but apart from that, <laughs> but apart from that, I think, you know, be active. It's really, really important. Yeah. To be active. Yeah. And what, it, what it's like being a vegan in the Greens? Is there much support for veganism or vegans or um, how does that work? It's, it's very interesting, surprisingly. So we have some pretty high profile vegans in the Greens and then we have some high profile people who aren't vegans or don't consider that an issue mm. when I see that as part and the parcel of if you care about climate change, um, you do have to move away from meat and mm. dairy. Those are quite important to me. So I talk about that quite a lot. I actually now start uh, when I post a recipe or when I post on Facebook or Twitter or whatever, if I'm posting about food, it'll be climate-friendly diet or something like that. So it's always reminding people that, you know, it's climate-friendly to be vegan. Yeah. We now have, for the last 15 years or so, advocated very, very strongly that we should not have any meat products or dairy products, really but mostly meat products at uh, national conferences or any meetings, anything like that. In Victoria, we have a we have a vegetarian catering policy, so all our events should realistically be vegetarian. But I do a lot of the catering, so <laughs> it's all vegan. <laughs> <laughs> so my way's always been to just take over stuff and take over <laughs> events. Uh, so I'll, I'll say, oh, I'll take over catering of an event, and I, I know all the vegan caterers around, so I'll book those things that are going on. And now the people who are organizing the meetings know, oh, if you're doing something in Melbourne, a big event in Melbourne, we need to contact Dinesh Hill, organize all the catering. <laughs> just makes it easier for them, but it also makes it very easy for me to <laughs> to fully cater it with the best vegan food and so that people will remember it yeah. and have a very positive experience with veganism. Yeah. And it also teaches caterers. So every job I've had, I've actually managed to take over every single event. <laughs> <laughs> so I think it's a, you know, this is the one tip for vegans, like I think, is to learn food, learn great food, then take over every single catering event um, and just do every, you know, there's this, I was working for a department and I took over one of their events. There's like 20 events across Victoria and I made every single event vegan and... <laughs> And it was, um, well, I, I could say it was for climate change. Yeah. You know, we're talking about climate, so we need to do this. We need to live our values. They constantly say we need to live our values. And mm. we taught basically because I've designed menus and stuff like that, if a big catering arm said, well, we can't do a vegan menu, I said, can I speak to your chef? Always say, can I speak to your chef? <laughs> then just basically say, so why don't you do this, this and this? And they're like, oh, yeah, I can do that. Like, great. <laughs> um, all right. And uh, it sort of works. I, I remember I learned this at a, a Greens conference before we went fully vego, when the vegans in the room, which was the Senator Lee Rhiannon, who's, I think she was president or something like that, of the Vegetarian Society in New South Wales, the Vegan Society in New South Wales, for when it started. Uh, so she was still a senator and we have Maureen Faruqi is vegan and stuff like that. And they're all sitting there and there's no vegan food. <laughs> and so I just, I just, I was outraged. And so I walked up to the caterer, the manager of the event, and, and I said, we, there's no vegan food here. And she basically said, yes, there is. And there were sandwiches with literally lettuce. <laughs> and I'm like, that is ridiculous. And said, I want to speak to your chef. I'm one of those people. Can I speak to your manager, please? <laughs> so I said, can I just, and I'm very, I'm very, very nice and smiley and uh, walked up and walked in uh, to see the chef and the chef turned up and he was wearing a turban. He was Punjabi. Mm. 
And I just like went, oh my God. And so I walked straight up to him and said, you can do a vegan dish. And he's like, oh yeah, sure. And within 20 minutes, yeah. he brought out two or three curries, um, fully vegan. It was phenomenal. And everyone else was like, what is that food? Can we have that? I'm like, I'll have you what they're can. having. <laughs> <laughs> you can, but let us eat first. So, <laughs> But yeah, Dinesh, have you felt any pressure from other vegans to leave or boycott the greens and support AJP instead? Because I've, I've seen a lot in some vegan circles and animal rights circles, there's that expectation that AJP should be the number one focus. And there's a bit of a hesitancy to accept people getting involved with other political parties. Mm. I think it's quite important as vegans, uh, not just to be involved in AJP, but it, and across the board. Um, we can't really expect the AJP to win government as, mm. you know, I've, I've been involved in a what's now a major party uh, for 25 years and we're still not there to form government. And even when you win the balance of power, Labor and Liberal get to get together and, and pass mm. things. And I think it's really important to make sure that you don't have this sort of black and white policy of, oh, you're vegan, so therefore you have to join the AJP or you have to join the Greens or because of you're an environmentalist or whatever. We do need to be represented across the board. Look, I, I think it's important to be everywhere and it's important to be advocating for policies and to be waving that flag and to be friends with particular campaigners to go, hey, why haven't we seen this yet from our campaign? I know uh, at the polling booth, a couple of AJP volunteers were like, we haven't seen the Greens advocate on live export this election. And just you know immediately pulled it up and said, well, actually, this is what Marine Faruqi, Adam Band, everyone's been putting out. <laughs> and and we, we care enough. We were there. At, just because we weren't there at a particular rally doesn't mean we don't care about it. Mm. We are there. We've been, like, I've been going to rallies for 25 years. I'm exhausted. <laughs> like, if I went to every single rally still, it's just like every weekend and it's exhausting. And every now and then you need it. And that's the other thing take breaks. Yeah. <laughs> it's absolutely not sustainable to be there every time, mm. everywhere. And I think breaks. it's not just on an individual level. I think political campaigns need to take breaks because if a, if a campaign just goes full, full ball, just constantly on one issue, it'll become sort of background noise after a while and you need to have those pauses mm. and talk about other issues that have been neglected for a little bit and then bring it back it's got to be a cycle so i think a lot of people that maybe criticize because i've even seen some people criticize and i'm not saying that the greens are above criticism like i do criticize oh, yeah. things with the greens as well yep criticize everyone that's politics yeah. <laughs> i mean that's how you you improve policy you criticize not not the person you try and criticise the policies, mm. and that's how you improve. And I know there was a, a stretch where the Greens went really hard on refugees as a policy platform, and then when they, you know, it didn't quite work, like they, they still only got one federal seat in the lower house at that election, which was Adam Bantz staying in, and so they sort of had to do a reset. And then I know there was a bit of kickback from some of the refugee advocates saying, why have you gone quiet on refugees? Why don't you care anymore? And it's sort of like, well, you can't just keep going if you hit a brick wall, you have to sort of find another way to go around and you need that sort of reset, a little bit of dead time and talk about another issue so that when it comes back, it actually gets people's attention and it's mm. not just this nagging sort of voice in the corner that's not going away and people just tune that out. It's really interesting, I find, um, because with a name like the Greens or the Animal Justice Party or, you know, uh, you know, Labour Party itself, 
Again, mm. the name implies that it's a one-issue party. They only care about industrial relations, but they don't anymore. Mm. We now know that they're a party with policies everywhere. Same with the Greens. When I first ran at the first Pride March I organised, uh, people thought we were Greenpeace. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, people hadn't heard of us. And also they think, oh, why are you advocating for equal marriage? Or why are you advocating on this issue? You should just concentrate on the environment. But I think it's really important, as you say, is to have a diversity of messages, have a diversity of policies, and make sure that they're scientifically proven mm. um, and go with that. And change your policies if they are wrong. Yeah, mm. I've changed track on one or two things. And that's once the science is settled, you change tack and yeah. you accept that this is the way forward. And I think you have to set that standard. Mm. Yeah. So you, you gave the example just now about the Greens wanting to ban life exports. So are there other similarities in policies between AJP and the Greens? I would say that just about even on issues like the kangaroo cull in the ACT, there's a whole lot of us who are absolutely opposed to it, even mm. in the ACT Greens. Yeah. Um, and you would see us advocating, you would see the New South Wales Greens putting up proposals, etc. So there's dissent even when you know, one of the parties goes what I would call a little bit out there, away mm. from our policies, and it doesn't stack up. The kangaroo colour and the ACT doesn't stack up. We should absolutely be fighting hard to stop it. Yeah. yeah. But in terms of anything else, I clearly do not see much at all, except in how hard we argue for certain things. And, you know, in our agriculture policy, we do talk about humaneness and stuff like that in the grains. And we do talk about the climate impacts, but it's not front and centre when we go out there into the public. Now, that might be for different reasons, lots, whole lots of different reasons, possibly trying to avoid a front page in the Herald Sun and the Age, um, <laughs> who absolutely, you know, they don't. They don't particularly yeah. want the Greens to succeed for a whole host of reasons where because of the donations that the Greens refuse to take, etc., it means that there's less chance of being swayed on particular issues. So a whole lot of very, very wealthy people absolutely do not want to see the Greens gain any power mm -hmm. at all. And so the media will follow who their sponsors want them to do, essentially, mm -hmm. I suppose. So I think pretty much on everything, the Greens and the AJP would align. And I would find it very difficult to find points of difference, apart from specific things like the kangaroo cull in the ACT, but then a whole lot of state parties absolutely oppose it. Yeah. 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 I'd say most Greens as a national party are against the kangaroo cull. Yes. And it's just because of certain members in power in the ACT. And there's still, as you say, even dissent within the ACT Greens, um, but it's it's, it's no, by no means a majority of the Greens support that. I think the majority are against it. Yep. And it just so happens that people in power are, are ones that are letting it go through. Mm. I mean, w one of the things that in terms of veganism as, as a, you know, a vote winner, I remember when in one of the by-elections, uh, one of the, the Labour candidates claimed that they were vegan because they were in a part of town, in part of Melbourne, which had a quite a large vegan population. And we found out quite quickly that this person was just pretending to be vegan. <laughs> uh, and they published a photo which clearly showed them pouring dairy into their, into their coffee. So we've come to this sort of level where there are now enough vegans and there's lot, enough young people and older people. Like I know some quite, you know, older people who've turned vegan, etc. cetera. Mm. Um, my mum was talking about veganism, which I find quite spectacular. And I think if it wasn't for this sort of social big social pressure on older people not to go vegan, that you'd see a whole lot more older people go mm. vegan. Mm. Um, 
But I think that there's a large enough population now that even some political candidates now trying to pretend to be <laughs> vegan, for example, which I find really you wouldn't have thought that ten years ago. No, you uh, think it would in, be in fact, political suicide. You know, one of the things <laughs> I thought about when I was running was how badly this would be used against me. Mm. You know, extremist vegan. I don't consider myself extremist during <laughs> during lockdown. I baked for six hours a day and, and delivered to all my neighbours and stuff like that. And so I'm like, you know, that's not extreme. That's just feeding people. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a feeder. <laughs> you make a button. Yeah. I'm a feeder. I'm a feeder. <laughs> a badge. <laughs> that's terrible, but yeah. No, I, I do, yeah. For me, it's about feeding people, um, changing people's perceptions and people's minds. Mm. Um, there's a 82-year-old lady that used to live like next door to me. I used to deliver her Sunday lunches every Sunday. And she started inviting her friends over. But she'd go, oh, you, you're giving me so much food. So she invited her friend around. It's the first time that lady had had a vegan meal. And she was so thrilled. She's like, oh, this tastes amazing. And I feel full. I didn't think I would feel full. Mm. And it's that generation which weren't exposed to much ethnic foods or diversity of food, different kinds of styles of food, etc. So I'm all into that. If I had the money, what I would do is open a really cheap, nutrition-rich food source in the city and have it really quite cheap so people can feed themselves. Mm. Mm. Let's uh, take another break. Another song. What's your... Second song choice, Dinesh. So, when you asked me for a second song, I thought of my favourite song of all time, which is called The Origin of Love. It's from Hedwig and the Angry Inch. If you haven't seen the film, go see the film. If you ever see it on stage, go see it on stage. It's based on Plato's Symposium. It's about finding love, I suppose, but not being able to find love if you haven't actually found love within you.
flower Strength and defiance and Thor said I'm gonna kill them all with my hammer Like I killed the giants But Zeus said no, you better let me Use my lightning like scissors Like I cut the legs off the whales Dinosaurs and the lizards And then he grabbed up some bolts He let out a laugh Said I split them right down the a few children's picture books or footy boots that your kids have outgrown but want to find them a loving home? Well, drop them in at 3CR and put them in the books and boots bin. 
Books and Boots regularly sends pre-loved children's picture books and sports footwear to remote and regional First Nations communities and children across the country. Contact us at Books and Boots or go to the website www.booksandboots.org.au We love a good book. The revolution in Rojava is a beacon of hope for the world, putting direct democracy and feminism into practice on a broad scale. This radical attempt at social transformation now faces huge challenges, including daily attacks by the Turkish military with little outside recognition or aid. Show your support for Rojava by joining North East Syria Solidarity, or NESS, and help ensure the survival of this inspiring experiment in social change. NESS sends aid, raises awareness, and builds solidarity. Get involved at www.nessolidarity.org.au. NESS is a 3CR supporter. Hey listeners, welcome back to Freedom of Species. You just heard the song Origin of Love from the movie Hedwig and the Angry Inch. Yes! <laughs> we like to focus a bit more on how to unite different left progressive parties. Like, What are some of the policies or the projects that we can work on right now that seem to have like a common ground between the different parties? There's a few that stick out um, and I think that a few are gaining a lot of support. A lot of people, and I've been quite surprised at how quickly this has changed in terms of horse racing. Mm. Um, the Melbourne Cup coming up, for example, and how a lot of people have changed their views on horse racing. And I, I'm quite surprised by that and how people seem to have been educated on it. Greyhound racing, I completely understand because it's something we're not used to. We never really watched it. We've never really... A lot of people haven't engaged with greyhound racing. And when you talk about killing of dogs and stuff like that, I think that people get highly offended by the amount of dogs that are being killed, not just the injuries, but just in general, if they're slow dogs or whatever, they get killed. And so therefore mm. people are just highly offended by the thousands and thousands of dogs being killed. So much so that the Liberal Party in New South Wales tried to ban it. Mm. I think those are issues that we are getting a lot of strength in. Mm. And I do think that Labour and the Liberal Party will eventually have to change their minds on both of those. Well, at least the dog greyhound racing. There's a lot of money involved in horse racing, mm. which I think is what's stopping the major parties coming around to it. This is why yeah. I think that the holistic, looking at everything holistically, uh, for me, Corruption Commission, for example, was the most important thing in terms of politics for the last 25 years. Like the Greens had been pushing for a Corruption Commission with the power to investigate politicians in federally for nearly 20 years mm. and putting it up every year and everyone used to vote against it. You know, integrity in politics and sort of cleaning up our donations laws is what will actually advance fair policy. Mm. And for me, if you could ban donations from the gambling industry, suddenly that particular industry cannot have the huge amount of influence it does at the moment. For example, you can, you know, conduct money laundering in Victoria apparently through big organisations like casinos, etc., and still yeah. keep their licence because they donate large amounts of money to, the mm. to major political parties. Yeah. So, to me, those sorts of issues will have the domino effect mm. that will actually improve the lives of a whole lot of animals and a whole lot of people and have a huge influence. So, not just concentrating on that one issue, but yeah. looking at it holistically, why is that industry which not a lot of people actually go and watch, et cetera, I'm talking about the greyhound industry, why does that exist? 
and then following it back through the money trail to find out why it exists and then trying to target it at the root cause. Mm. And for me, it's trying to figure out a way around corruption in political donations, cleaning that up. Once we clean that up, that's when politicians start actually working for the people. Yeah. yeah. Have to account. Yeah, accountability. Well. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. That's one thing that a lot of people forget because they become single, singly focused on one issue. And mm. for me, there are particular animals campaigns, for example, the greyhound racing. I think that's one we can win. That's one mm. that a whole lot of people can can unite behind because every a lot of people care about dogs because we're so connected to dogs. And the more greyhounds that you meet around the place, because I've, you know, I've had a greyhound who passed away last year or two years ago or something like that, lived with me for 11 years. And, you know, I know about five or six greyhounds in my, oh, actually, you know, about 12 greyhounds in my area. <laughs> I don't know the owner's names, but I know the dog names. <laughs> uh, if once you have a, comp- a greyhound companion, you become absolutely connected to all the greyhounds. <laughs> and because of that connection, people have seen greyhounds around, they've patted them, they know how kind they are. Mm. The fact that this many dogs are being killed every year, they just absolutely, they will get absolutely offended by it. And I think we just need to hold that mirror up to people. Mm. and run campaigns on it and and pretty boldly point out that both Labour and Liberal parties are supportive of thousands of greyhounds being killed every year just for being too slow. Mm. Yeah. yeah, it's infuriating. Yeah, but what you told about the less visible work that needs to be done to get these industries banned like greyhound racing is the donation channeling mm. that goes to the parties. It's not the kind of activism that you'd expect when you think of animal activism. Mm. But it's this very strategic, behind-the-scenes work that needs to be done. Although I can imagine it also needs to be front and center to the discussion, absolutely. But what would be a strategy toward that end? Like you have to have the clean politics, if there's such a thing, road. And then there's the getting people familiarized with the animals. It has a lot of different roots to it. So how do you do that? If you're if you're not involved in politics heavily or anything like that, calling your politician, calling your MPs, member of parliament for your area, and talking to them about donations. Where do you take your donations from? Why is there not a cap? Why are you taking donations from this particular group, etc.? Because for me, the root of all evil in the world at the moment comes from donations, from organised interests. And if we can solve that, suddenly everything normalizes itself and we have a fair justice system etc and i think that's where we're going wrong um, mm. in america that's what it's absolutely gone wrong is the dark money that flows into those campaigns mm. um, and the dark money that flows into our campaigns here even in victoria with our new laws which is meant to clean a whole lot of that up we've just discovered uh, i don't know if you've noticed this is a whole lot of things that seem to have happened in the liberal party recently in terms of donations so there's ways around even the tight donations laws that we have, the common sense things to me, like the wastage in horse racing, the wastage in greyhound racing, wastage is is a horrible way to say, Mm. you know, they're literally being killed for being slow. We can actually get rid of it, but it actually, the root cause of it is donations Mm. from industries and, you know, money laundering and buying politicians essentially. And if we can stop that, it will absolutely normalize a whole lot of those issues that we really care about and it will make those politicians judge those issues on their merits rather than on the money they receive from a particular lobbyist and have to constantly vote in one way. And I think this is this shows an importance of why 
as you said, like a holistic sort of non-single issue approach to politics in general as well is really important because these things will get lost in a single issue campaign. People won't even consider it. It'll even just be considered a distraction by some people. They might even think it's a negative because it's going to distract people from their single issue. So it's it's not a sexy issue. <laughs> like, you know, talking about donations laws is not a sexy issue. Talking about the Corruption Commission wasn't a sexy issue, but it, when we were campaigning on the doors, it was like our third issue. If you're talking to a liberal voter who's not going to switch, you do bring that up. You talk about Corruption Commission and they immediately get really interested. At the same time, I think we need to get out there and, and campaign on something like Greyhound Racing in those marginal seats. And the Greens have worked really hard to win lower house seats. If we want to change policies, winning seats like a marginal seat between Labour and Greens on one issue, if we can really work hard on Greyhound Racing, for example, I think that's a low-hanging fruit. I think we can win that issue. If we target the seat of, say, Northcote with that issue front and centre, every single, a lot of animal rights activists talking on this issue and basically saying, okay, this is Greens' Labour seat. The Greens want to end Greyhound Racing. Labour doesn't. If the Greens win that seat, I can assure you the Labour Party will have that discussion. Mm about we are now starting to lose inner city seats on this issue to the Greens. Mm. We need to have a chat about this. And I think at the core, even though money is very important to major political parties, seats are more important. Mm. Yeah, And that's how I believe we can change policies. I think that's how we do change a lot of policies of political parties, by taking seats off them or getting close enough to knock them off. Mm. And so I think there's, there's a way for a whole lot of issues it is a slow burn, you know, it's taken me 25 years on some issues to see things happen. It does actually happen, but it does sometimes take a long time. Yeah. Yeah, wow. Well, thanks so much, Dinesh, for, for joining us today. It's been really informative for me to, to hear you talk about politics in this way and uh, broadens my mind in, in animal activism. Thank you for joining us. Absolute pleasure. Yeah, As thank always. you. Yeah. It's been great. <laughs> Yeah, Freedom of Species will be back next week from uh, 1 till 2 p.m. at 3CR Community Radio. We're going to end with the song Sorted Out by Betty Race.
You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.